when we study subjects in silos we miss out on important insights when we look at subjects in totality and when we apply our learning from one subject to the other we see the magic happen this is what sangeet vargis and his son's new book hidden links how random historical events shaped our world which is published by penguin is all about and as we prepare to delve into our conversation on the topic at hand here is an exciting twist sangeet please get ready for a rapid fire round of uh, random words and i will mention a few and i would love to hear the first thing that comes to your mind in response without thinking much and let's dive right in okay here comes my first word curious curiosity connects the world invention thomas alva edison future bright book it had links <laughs> movie anything to do with future clairvoyance mm food what my wife makes place the place where i come from kerala name name is interesting hashem it's a hebrew word which means the name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. new learning animal animal um, a horse everything i started with a horse in fact in history a lot of history is connected to horses mm-hmm. and the last one is world world yeah world is all connected in connected in more ways than we can imagine mm-hmm. interesting and i i loved your responses thanks for partic- uh, participating so sportively sangeet really appreciate it and folks uh, welcome to the guiding voice podcast series where we embark on transformative conversations for a better future i'm your host navin samalok dedicated to making the world a better place through valuable discussions that add value to your life and to your career thank you so much for tuning in and sangeet hearty welcome to the guiding voice and i'm super excited to have you join as a guest in today's uh, conversation thank you navin and uh, i look forward to this exciting time with you and all our audience absolutely pleased to have you and let's uh, get started and as always i start with this question just to understand your success mantra so sangeet request you to share the top 3 things that have attributed to your success so far the top 3 things so i would say luck is the most important thing we discount a lot of luck in our lives the first starting with the genetic luck itself the genetic lottery itself where we are born in what kind of family which we are born all those kind of decides what we become right yeah if i w- were not born in that particular place in the particular family i might have been completely different so luck is probably 99% of of uh, what i am what little i've been able to do the second one i would say i would say it's about changing the game so whenever i thought that i'm i'm kind of plateauing Mm-hmm. so at some point of time i started up my career uh, as the chief of staff for mukesh ambani at some point of time wow mm-hmm. uh and uh, at some point of time i thought that my learning was plateauing and i changed the game and went back to study at the london school of economics went back to studies went back to acquiring knowledge part of it uh, worked in the un for about a couple of years uh, came back to india mm mm-hmm. Right. So it has been a consistent, consistently. I've been I've been changing the game. The third part, I think, it is also about connecting the unconnected. Right. So if you end up seeing something which is unconnected, uh, getting excited about things which which are big, right. Figuring out if there is which which we can do about. That's what. If you can call it mantra, I don't. I don't think whether you can call it mantra or not. But yeah. Hmm. i i see a different uh, perspective and a diverse thought process here and uh, it is so interesting and intriguing at the same time and because you are trying to establish connections between the unconnected that is seeing the world through a different lens altogether and i think that might have uh, led to the writing of your book uh, uh, hidden links so i would like to understand the inspiration behind your book and how your son zach's passion for history ignited your journey into investigating historical events through a strategic planning lens interesting <laughs> so my son uh, zach sangeet uh, he authored couple of books earlier uh, mm-hmm. right i guess uh, history in three points and more world history in three 
he boils it. So uh, his passion for history started very serendipitously mm-hmm. when he saw a picture of the Mona Lisa. And then he got interested in Mona Lisa and then to Leonardo da Vinci and then to Renaissance and then to the, the history of the world. That's that's how he started out. Every time he learned something in history. So this was during the COVID time, 2020, mm-hmm. when he did not have school. So he would shut himself up in a room, study uh, throughout the day uh, a particular topic. And in the evening, we would go out for a walk around the mm-hmm. campus. And at that particular point of time, he would offload whatever he has learned until that point of time. Humongous amount of historical facts, he would end up offloading it onto me. Mm-hmm. And for me, history was one of my interests. It was not the interest as he was having. Right. So I'm interested in sociology. I'm interested in political science. I'm interested in psychology. Right. And this was one of the things which I'm, I'm, I'm interested in at that point of time. And um, But my core interest or my core profession or the craft which I specialize in is strategic planning. And that's what I've been doing throughout my life. And as human beings, what, what really happens is that everybody got a lens, right, which we look at things. Some people look at things through a religious lens. Some people look at it from the family they have come from. Some people look at it so through the craft which they have. An engineer would always look at uh, problems as engineering problems. A lawyer would look at it as a legal problem. So I looked at things from a strategic point angle. Strategic point angle is fairly simple, as in what it really means in a strategic planning is that there are a lot of smaller, smaller parts. And then how do you really accumulate all the parts and form the big picture? That's what strategy is all about, right? So it could be a political angle, it could be an economic angle, social angle, legal angle, environment angle. So how do you really pull all those things together and form something which is bigger than the sum of its parts is what strategic planning is all about. How do you connect? So when Zach was offloading all the historical information onto me, I started from a very novice angle, from a very uh, unbiased angle, from a very amateur angle, from a very student angle. I, When I looked at things, I saw that there are some connections. He's talking about unconnected things. He's talking mm. about, say, for example, an Ottoman Empire one day and then another day he's talking about a Silk Road. In another day, he's talking about Mughals and uh, or another day he's talking about Cholas and Cheras and Pandyas. And I'm thinking there is some connection. Why are you not seeing it? So that's where we started out from. And then we started fleshing out some of these threads. We call it as threads. We started fleshing out some of these threads. Is it for real? Are the connections for real? Or is it something which I am just imagining in my mind? So we started fleshing it out. And then we thought that, okay, it's exciting enough to have a, probably have a book or have an essay. So that's that's where it started out from. If I may ask, how old is Zach? Zach is 12 years. He goes to the seventh grade. <laughs> oh, my God. And and you guys... Probably the, next conversation you should, <laughs> probably the next conversation you should have with him. He can Absolutely. he can hold the fortress on, on his... Absolutely. I, I would love to host him because he will become the youngest speaker on my show. So far, um, it's been 14-year-old was the youngest so far. So, we would, would love, definitely love to have Zach on the show. Sangeet, this is quite interesting because uh, I'm learning a lot through this conversation as well. And uh, as a strategic planner and a leadership thinker, how did your unique perspective contribute to uncovering these hidden patterns and connections between seemingly unrelated historical events? Because I don't think people would have that particular thought process, okay, how to establish those kind of connections and uh, connecting the dots. You have done it so well. So, see, strategic planning in itself sounds like a sounds like a, a funky word, a fad word kind of a thing. But uh, essentially, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's actually a fairly simple thing. As in, how do you really simplify things? How do you really simplify complexities? How do you really bring together the elements? That's that's what strategic planning is all about, right? So you yeah. end up using multiple tools for, right? Uh, Data centric tools for planning, right? But the basic tool in everything is very simple. It's about when you have a large data set, which is with you, which is easily available as far as corporates are concerned. right? So a data set on sales or marketing or anything like that. So when you have a large data set, what's the first thing which you need to do? You need to put it down on paper. Mm -hmm. 
you need to enter it onto an excel sheet you need to enter it onto something which can analyze it that's the first and the basic step which is what actually we did okay when we start writing right so what i did is that first put down all the dates and the events onto a sheet of paper mm-hmm. even before thinking about what are the kind of tools which we need to to uh, start applying that's when the magic started happening navin because i started putting it down onto a sheet of paper say for example i'll give you an example around the 2500 3000 bce there were a few civilizations which started to rise up it included say the indus valley civilization in south asia sumer in the middle east then there was a civilization called the minoan civilization in the greece uh, uh, in 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 greece then there is a egyptian civilization the mm-hmm. old kingdom of the egyptian civilization all of them started rising up during this particular period of time and all of them there's a, a very interesting aspect about all of them all of them happen to be agrarian societies indus valley because it is near a river, uh, the river indus sumer because it's on the banks of euphrates and tigris egypt on the nile and minoan because it's a seashore all of them happen to be happen to be uh, agrarian society and agrarian societies have got a very interesting point to them that unlike the industrial societies in an agrarian society it is a, typically a small farm and in a small farm it is not just men who work women also work exactly the same way right it's not just the men who end up going for work right women also help in sowing the seeds women also help in harvesting in reaping in uh, making the grains going and selling it's not a men's forte so all these civilizations whether it is the indus valley whether it is sumerian civilization whether it is the egyptian whether it is the minoan of the of crete all of them happen to be feminist societies in some way matriarchal mm-hmm. societies in some way or at least they gave equal importance to men and women if not matriarchal at least equal importance part of it excellent part and we see all these civilizations flourishing they all flourished by the time it was around 2200 bce they were all at the pinnacle mm-hmm. the minoans crete were building humongous palaces in acres and acres of land uh, here is uh, in the, the indus valley civilization with the greatest plumbing uh, which the world has seen at that point of time sumerian civilization developing language egyptian yes of course going ahead and uh, building some of the greatest uh, monuments which the world has seen then something interesting happens so far so good so i put it down on paper and yeah. surprisingly i see all of them rise at the same time then again surprisingly i see that around 1700 bce mm. all of them fall at exactly the same time fantastic right if i just all what i've done is that just putting down it down on a piece of paper what happened from 3000 bce until 1 ce and here are some information coming in all of them rising at the same time all of them falling down at the same time then what we do is that then as a planner a strategic planner i start asking a question why it fell yes there is some reason for its fall what exactly re- resulted in the fall then when i study and that's that's a very interesting one as in why it fell is because of a climate crisis there was a particular cr- climate crisis at that that point of time and because of the climate crisis all of the civilization started falling in so an indus industry was started drying up there were famines uh, there was volc- volcanic eruption in in uh, greek islands um, the sumerian euphrates tigris started drying up in the nile river there was lack of precipitation river was not uh, reaching them all of them started falling at the same but then there is a twist in the story this climate crisis continued for about 200 300 years new civilization started coming up the place of the civilization so in india there arose say the vedic civilization in uh, in uh, greece arose uh, another civilization in the place of of minoan civilization 
which is called the Mycenaean civilization. In Egypt, it was the new kingdom which arose. In Sumer, there was the uh, Hurrian kingdom of Mitanni which arose. So new kingdoms started rising up. This is where I end the story. And in every single one of the civilization, the new civilization, it was no longer men equal to women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was no longer life as usual. It was a very different society which rose up in the ruins of the earlier society. And therein hangs a tale which we explore in one of the chapters. What happened to all those women equal to men societies? What happened to all those matriarchal societies? And why do we live in a sexist world? Why do we live in a patriarchal world? Why do we live in a misogynist world? What happened during that climate crisis when older civilizations were destroyed and newer ones arose? What Mm -hmm. is that few years of climate crisis? What is a secret which it is hiding? It's as if like I have Time traveled back to those civilizations so beautifully put through. Sangeet, your book highlights the fountainhead epoch as a significant era connecting various topics. So could you elaborate on this pivotal period and its role in shaping these multiple aspects of the history? Definitely, Navin. So this is the book. This is the book which I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. So in the the first, one of the first chapters of the book happens to be the so uh, uh, the fountainhead epoch. So yeah. uh, this is what I said when when I said that okay, I put it down on a sheet of paper. This is what I meant. Mm-hmm. You end up putting down yeah. the uh, dates and all those kinds uh, kind of stuff onto a piece of paper, and then you figure out how exactly uh, the various things pan out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is data heavy, but at the same time, uh, you end up having illustrations and uh, you end up having those infographics, which end up simplifying the stuff, right? Uh, So coming back to the stuff, the fountainhead epoch, human beings started evolving uh, about 300,000 years back on the earth. Yeah. About 1,000 to 12,000 years back, they started settling down in terms of agrarian societies. And like I mentioned earlier, several large flourishing civilizations started coming up, say, and one of those ancient civilizations, whether it is the Indus Valley, whether it is the Minoans of the Crete, Egyptian, all those things which I mentioned, right? So they all started coming up uh, in about 2,700, 3,000 BC kind of a thing. And we have progressed further, right? We are uh, right now sitting uh, in 2023, right? So we have progressed further. But one thing which interesting, which I noticed is that all the progress which we have made as human being, whether it is in terms of religion, whether in terms of philosophy, whether in terms of science, whether in terms of uh, history, archaeology, architecture, um, you name it. Everything, the seeds of it was sown in a very short time period, which was 600 to 300 BCE. In 300 years, every single thing which you see in the world today, mm-hmm. for example, religions, uh, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, Jainism, all of them started in between 600 to 300 BCE. Reformation of religions, uh, reformation of Hinduism, reformation of Buddhism happened during that particular period of time. Right? United geography, say, uh, United India came up during that particular period of time under the, uh, under whether it is under Magadha Empire or whether it is under the Maurya Empire. Until that time, India was not, India was not a contiguous mass. So uh, that was a time when India became a united India. Incidentally, China became united in exactly the same time period. Greeks became united in exactly the same time period. Persia or the Middle East became united in exactly the same time period, right? So united world uh, concept came came up during the same time period. Statecraft, bureaucracy, thinkings like Zoroastrianism or legalism and all those kind of things came up during the uh, same time period or Confucianism same, came up during the same time period. Aristotle ended up ensuring that you are studying biology, zoology, right? Um, or whether it is uh, other subjects like history, archaeology, architecture, engineering, every single thing came exactly 
we are talking about the fountainhead epoch. So that's why we call it as a fountainhead epoch, 600 to 300 BC, just mm-hmm. 300 years. Why it happened? Why exactly 600 to 300 BCE? That's another great story in itself. Again, when we map it on and use a strategic planning tool, we again incidentally see a climate crisis. Two back-to-back climate crises which happened in the world. And one of them lasting until 600 BCE, which wiped out all the civilization. And then from the ruins of it arose the new ones. The Greek civilization and the Roman civilization and the new uh, Indian civilizations, new Indian empires and the new Chinese empire and all of them. So up until now, we are sitting on the ruins or the fountain at epoch between 600 to 300 BCE, which mm-hmm. is the foundation or the fountainhead where all of us are. Quite interesting. And um, also the, the discovery of a climate change as a surprising thread linking numeric historical incidents is very intriguing. So could you share the investigative process that led you to this uh, revelation? And uh, what insights did you gain from this discovery? Again, uh, I have uh, described at least about the climate change a couple of times uh, now. What really led us to it is another completely another thread altogether. For example, uh, we were studying about uh, Silk Road. We were mapping, incidentally, what is what was the progress, rise and fall of the Silk Road. So as we are studying Silk Road, we kind of figured out that it's kind of uh, uh, the foundations of the Silk Road, at least in concept, was laid by the Han Empire in China. It was around 200 BC kind of a thing. And at that particular point of time, quite a few at the same time, in the time span of about 500 years, right? So in Rome, there was a Roman Empire which was coming up. In India, there was a Gupta Empire which rose to the pinnacle. So there were multiple empires which were rising to the pinnacle at the same point of time. And then the Silk Road falls. fall. Again, the Silk Road rises. Again, the Silk Road falls. Right? So we started studying about why the Silk Road is falling and why the empires are falling. And we found that there are climate, they were climate disruptions. We studied the climate disruptions and very intriguing things start coming out. Say, for example, in uh, the Roman Empire at that point of time, uh, the temperatures were two degrees higher than even which we are having right now. We we complain that the, the temperatures are the highest at this point of time. The Roman temperatures which they recorded were two degrees even higher than right now. And you know what they thought? They again thought that it is because they are building too many palaces and building too many temples. So there are a lot of man-made activities over there. So the, uh, this is resulting in an increase in temperature. Or in the case of, uh, of a Mongol empire, again, you see the, the temperatures rising. And they kind of blamed it on the Mongoloid uh, Khan saying that they are putting it onto fire. Too many, uh, too many cities, they plunder cities and put them onto fire. That's the reason for the for the increase in temperatures. So Silk Road was one of the things. Then we looked at Fountainhead Epoch. We again saw the similar kind of patterns. Then incidentally, we came to a topic which was very closely, which I was trying to monitor, which is Mahabharata. A lot of people think that Mahabharata is an epic. It is a story and all those things. So I went back and figured out uh, that some of the historians say that, no, it is not. It is not just an epic, but it's a, it's a part of the history. And if it is a part of the history, then there should be a historical time to it. Yeah. And depending upon whether it is you are a religious priest or whether it is a, you are a historian or whether you are an archaeologist, people put the timeline between, uh, say, 3000 BC to 500 uh, CE. About 3,500 years is the span which they say. And we figured out and through the course of the book, we are figuring out systematically, logically using data uh, uh, data tools that this is exactly the time period when Mahabharata would have happened. And incidentally, there is also a climate change angle as far as Mahabharata is concerned. It's bizarre, but you see things rising and falling and then you are able to fit it back. and. I would delve into Mahabharata at some point of time, but it is extremely interesting. I'll I'll probably leave you with a thought uh, uh, that 
I have a quick question towards you. Uh, in any war, will typically be the commander in chief of an army. As as in a person or type of a person. Uh, type of a person who has uh, uh, who is very spontaneous. Who's spontaneous, maximum skills. Who's the able general. Who's the able soldier. He would be the one. That yeah. And uh, uh, Mahabharata was fought between two uh, two parties. Uh, yeah. Do you remember who was, uh, two parties? Pandavas and Kauravas. The Kuru dynasty and the Pandavas. Right. In the case of the Kauravas, the most able man was chosen as the commander in chief, yeah. who was Bhishma. Mm. They were. Mo- he was the most experienced, most valiant, the best. In the case of Pandavas, whom do you think? Even peripherally, if you if you know the story, whom do you think should have been the commander in chief? I I think um, Arjuna. Arjuna should have been. Even my bet is on Arjuna. In fact, yeah. Actually, my bet was Arjuna because Arjuna is the most valiant, superb, and Dronacharya says that he is the best student which I've got. He can just shoot the arrow. That's what we have learned, right? Yeah. But it was not Arjuna. It was somebody called. Trishti Dyumna, mm-hmm. an obscure, not so great warrior, mm-hmm. not even a core Pandava, yeah. and therein hangs a tale, a beautiful tale of a mystery, of a secret, which we have never heard or we have never seen in Mahabharata, which was always there, but we did not realize. Interesting dimension, yeah. I am enjoying this conversation, uh, Sangeet. A lot of uh, eye-opening perspectives. It's a kind of uh, reminiscing my childhood when I watched this Mahabharat. Likewise, uh, all the scenes that you have depicted, right? It is uh, um, getting me into a sensation wherein I am watching them live. So very well uh, explained, uh, Sangeet. And uh, now let's talk about the book. Like each paragraph in your book contains some standalone information points, which contributes to the bigger picture overall. So how did you strike a balance between presenting self-contained insights and at the same time maintaining the coherence of the overall narrative? So see, uh, uh, Zach, my son, uh, he comes from a very diametrically opposite end of the spectrum, right? So yes, mm. he's a student of history, uh, but at the same time, he belongs to the younger generation. And yeah. because he belongs to the younger generation, he's got his own perspectives. Yeah. So one of the interesting perspectives which he came up with is that history books are great, but the problem with history books is that it is too verbose for even people who are interested in history like me, right? It's a 1,000 pages, 2,000 pages. Who's got the time to read up all these kind of things, right? Uh, I would like to see a gist. I would like to see a book which I can just take it and, and uh, leave. Right. So uh, a book should read like a Twitter or an Instagram is, is what he said. So uh, that was how exactly his first book, uh, first couple of books were like. Right. Yeah. So in this book, what we realized is that instead of uh, just writing huge chapters and paragraphs part of it, but is there a way in which you know, we can tell a small tale through each paragraph? Is that possible at all? Is the question which we asked, right? Uh, instead of telling a typical book, what happens is that it tells uh, the entire story in one chapter right? and it tells the whole story part of it in the entire book. So the question which we asked ourselves is that can we take up the challenge and tell at least a part of the story in a paragraph itself? So then we started building the book in such a way that there is some kind of an information which you can gain from each paragraph. So, for example, it looks like this, hmm. right? Each paragraph, and in each paragraph, there is a title to it. <laughs> and the title is, even if you least interested in reading the entire book, you kind of read the paragraph and you get an idea, right? So, for example, uh, Pax Indica 2, mm-hmm. Age Under the Guptas. You kind of understand this is what it is talking about. Or the Turkic Khanates rose up alongside the Silk Road. Or in China, rose up the Tang Dynasty. Right? Expansion of the Han Silk Road. So each one of the paragraphs, each one of them have got a header. Mm-hmm. And that header is self-explanatory. Yeah. The paragraph 
also ends up giving you a good amount of information even if you do not read the rest of the chapter you just read one paragraph you will get a very good idea about this is the what the story of that particular thing is of course uh, we would love everybody to read the entire chapters and the entire book part of it but it is centered in a standalone fashion hmm. also what we have done is that instead of just putting all the boring text which is out there reams and reams of text we have put also infographics which are out there when people just look at the infographics they kind of get the idea okay this is what it is all about right so that's that's how we have approached it nice and how long did it take for you to write this book zack completed his uh, his uh, last book in 2022 in july uh, that's when his last book was published but we had actually started working on the book you know, from january 2022 so we mm-hmm. started the book in january 2022 zack typically writes a lot during his vacation time so mm-hmm. march april may is when he writes a lot Right? Mm-hmm. because otherwise he has to go to the school so yeah. march april he ended up writing a lot and by december the book was ready in fact mm-hmm. the book was ready and uh, penguin had already expressed the interest that they would like to go ahead and and publish the book right uh, so uh, by manuscript was ready in december and the publishing process is a fairly long process right so it takes about 6 months in mm-hmm. terms of uh, of the editing in terms of the proofreading in terms yeah. of the legal checking and uh, in terms of making the infographics which go inside the book right so all those six uh, things took uh, another 4 uh, to 5 months or so mm-hmm. so our book in terms of our writing exactly one year is is what we took no got it and as uh, readers delve into hidden links what do you hope they will take away from the experience and how do you envision your work impacting the way people perceive and study about history in the future see as i again mentioned earlier yeah. i am an amateur in history hmm i am a student of history i enjoy history i am involved in history but at the same time i am also among the audience of history and that gives me a great strength because i am an onlooker because of an i am an audience i am neutral Mm-hmm. i don't look at it from any particular lens as such right? yeah. i don't look at it from a philosophical lens or a, a religious lens or even a geographical lens the west is bigger than the east or uh, greece is the biggest civilization or india is the biggest civilization so i don't look at it from any kind of lens i look at it as an onlooker i am a very a rational uh, rational data analyst that's what i am i look at it data from a very pure data perspective right mm-hmm. uh, and data do not have any subject activity data does not have any emotions yeah right that's the first thing about it right data doesn't have any emotions right i look at it from a purely non emotional perspective so when i look at it from a non emotional perspective what i would love the readers to uh, to take away if that is possible at all uh, first thing is that uh, there are humongous amount of connections in our world yeah we are not even realizing there are humongous amount of uh, connections the connections which are age old why we are doing certain things in a certain manner at this particular point of time is because of something else which happened some trivial thing which really happened ages back these are very trivial things right right for example right uh, since we spoke about mahabharata and the historicity of mahabharata part of it right can you imagine uh, mahabharata war really broke out because of an extremely extremely trivial reason which you might not even imagine mm-hmm. which is about a small child in an ashram mm. not having access to milk ah <laughs> he did not have access to milk and that spiraled into a bigger problem which spiraled into a much bigger problem <laughs> which spiraled into a humongous problem that's that's actually unraveled in 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 hidden links again yeah so we are connected to some things which are bizarre which we do not realize that's that's the first thing which i would like people to take away the second thing and the most important thing which I, again i would like to people to take away is that we think human beings are the most important mm-hmm. yeah 
the great civilizations, the uh, the biggest empires, the stalwart superpowers, right? The biggest, uh, we end up building Burj Khalifa, we end up building whatever, uh, the empire state building. We end up building the pyramids, so we are supreme. We are greater. We are greater than the uh, than the elephants and the and the dinosaurs and uh, anything which lived upon the earth. But probably not. Probably we are just specks in the universe which we are not even understanding. Probably we are overestimating our capabilities. Probably we are overestimating what we are doing. Probably we are overestimating the capabilities which we have. Probably we are overestimating the destruction which we are creating. Probably we are overestimating the, the productivity which we have. Probably we are overestimating the, the impact which we have on the universe. Probably we are nothing. Probably we don't count. Yeah. But we think we are, right? That's probably, that's also one of the perspectives that I'm trying to put in. Probably we are just, just those fillers in between those waves, which I spoke about, right? Whether it is a climate crisis waves or whether it is the, whether it is the, the universe moving, we are just, uh, a Roman empire comes up, a Indus Valley civilization comes up and they think that they are, they are great. A Mong- Mongol civilization comes up, one of the largest empires the world has ever seen and one of the, uh, the biggest contiguous empire in the world. They thought that, whoa, this is the greatest. Then the British empire comes up, then you have over here Gupta Empire, you have Mauryan Empire, you have Alexander's uh, Empire. Probably these are just... Got it. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, we are overestimating ourselves. And uh, this is a profound conversation that we have been having an incredible, incredible talk so far. It's now time to add uh, some more excitement to the episode. So Sangeet, get ready. As you dive into a series of intriguing rapid-fire questions to spice up the episode further. And if you're ready, let's get started. Okay. That's yes. my first bullet out of rapid-fire. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Nothing matters. <laughs> Super. And uh, what is one thing you're really bad at that you wish you were better at? Spontaneity. Quick thinking. Very bad, extremely bad. I don't think so. There is. A, I'm just adding on something over there. There is this beautiful saying: uh, "The owl of Minerva uh, mm. uh, takes flight at dusk." Mm-hmm. You end up sleeping over things. You get the wisdom. Wisdom is always in hindsight. Mm. And for me, for me to come up with something wise, for me to come up with something which makes sense, I need to sleep over it. I can never come up with something spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And can you describe yourself in just one word? A thinker. And what is the favorite thing about living in the 21st century? Discovering connections is much easier. Next one is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Clairvoyance, seeing into the future. Mm. And uh, the, here comes the last one for the rapid fire. What is one electronic gadget that you like to see or invent yourself? So, because the superpower which I want to have is clairvoyant, I would like to have a time machine. Mm. And uh, are you going to travel to the past or future first? Question. I'm planning to travel to the future first because I've got my own, after studying history, mm. uh, I've got my own... Uh, my own hypothesis about how the future would be, uh, mm-hmm. like I described earlier, uh, between the climate changes, be- between the climate crises, there arose superpowers in the world, mm-hmm. which have been going on throughout the conversation. Right. So uh, they were initially the old kingdom and Indus Valley and things like that in between. And then came in the new Vedic civilization and the, and the Egyptian new kingdom. And there in between, there was that the uh, misogyny and the feminism got flipped, right? That which yeah. also we described. And then came in the Roman civilization, then came in the uh, Byzantines, then came in the Mongols, then came in the British, right? So waves are going on and new civilizations, new superpowers, uh, new great empires, everything is rising and falling. So I've got a very interesting hypothesis itself that at the end of every climate crisis, during the climate crisis, it's very, again, very interesting. During the climate crisis, every climate crisis, it's a a perfect storm. 
There is a climate crisis. There are famines across the world. There are droughts across the world. There are wars. There are uh, there are migrations, and there are pandemics. Every single climate crisis has got a pandemic at the center of it. Oh. Mm-hmm. Whether it was Justinian's plague, Antoninus' plague, the Black Death, the Spanish flu, every single one has got a pandemic. Now, I feel this is again a climate crisis. You have got a pandemic at the center of it. Yeah. You've got wars and migrations and all those things which are happening. Yes. Mm. Now, one more thing have to happen for the for the perfect storm to culminate, mm-hmm. which is a fall of a superpower. So I leave you with that, saying that <laughs> this is why I would like to have a future going time machine first rather than going back. Makes sense. Got it. And uh, yeah, uh, this has been great rapid fire again. And let's flip back to the mainstream. Finally, how was your collaborative journey with your son, Zach? And uh, in, in fact, how it shaped your understanding of history? And what other collaborative projects do you foresee in the future? What's in the store from you both? So for me, it, were, it was extremely exciting for me because I uh, I got to learn a subject which which otherwise I'm not an expert on. I got to apply certain tools which I am an expert on, right? So I applied certain tools onto a subject which otherwise I was not an expert on. I learned from him or I continue learning from a new lessons part of it, right? So I, I think that should be the way when I approach uh, a new subject. I should approach a new subject with humility more than arrogance right yeah. i might have my own experience in something else but when i come to a new one i have, i should approach it with the humility with all the humility which which i can have so i feel that's that's a that's the attitude which i'm having uh, at this point of time as far as the subject is concerned uh, i'm hoping that i've not been arrogant as far as the subject is concerned or some of the hypotheses which i've come up with i hope that i'm i've not been too brash or arrogant in terms of dealing with the subject as far as future collaborations uh zach is excited about his own world he's got uh, his own uh, ideas about the next book which he w- would like to write uh, i have got uh, my own idea about another book which which uh, i would uh, like to write uh whether we uh, write it together or not, it's uh, it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends upon uh, whether both of our twine ends up meeting. That that depends. But at some point of time, probably yes. Why not? So here is a follow up question: When did Zach's flair for writing start? At what age? Five. <laughs> Right, five years because uh, uh, that's there is a reason for that. His handwriting was extremely bad. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. handwriting was pathetic. So his teachers started pulling him up, saying that your handwriting is not good. You need to improve your handwriting. So why don't you start writing? Uh, writing a page every day. So he started writing a page every day and that one page became 10 pages, 100 pages. And he wanted to write something about the things which he liked. So he started writing about history. He wrote close to about 300 essays on history, right? Wow. And which converted into the first two books part of it. So that's that's the story which of that. Super. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And finally, before I let you go, please share how has been your experience being hosted on our platform, The Guiding Voice? It cannot be more fabulous than this, Naveen. It cannot be more fabulous than this. Uh, I love the insightful questions which you asked. And most importantly, you had the patience to listen out, right? So history is what we are narrating in history on one part of it is a series of threads which we are talking about with connections in fountain epoch or a climate change or a fall of empires or religions and all those things so it's multiple threads and multiple things which can happen confusing threads part of it yeah and the second part of it is that a lot of it has got a leap of faith right just because there was a climate crisis at some point of time, there is some other point of time, there is another climate crisis. It doesn't mean that they are all connected. It doesn't mean that uh, it's called in, in planning, <coughs> sorry, you call it as a, as a false causation. There is yeah. no cause really, right? But you are deriving a false causation out of it. Mm. Right? It's like, uh, it's like the, <coughs> sorry, the newspaper read, readership is going up. 
the accidents are also going up and then suddenly somebody looks at the paper and says that oh the the accidents are going up newspaper reading is also going up so anybody who reads the newspaper has got a higher chance of getting into an accident that's a false causation mm. right so so in some cases i'm assuming and i'm hoping that we have not been arrogant in terms of coming up with hypotheses challenging the things which are which are there yeah right uh, including like i said that in terms of the women empowerment mm. it has been there it has been there people can see it in the in terms of what really happened right the data is there but we just came up with a hypothesis with a with a audacious hypothesis and said that uh, this is the reason how, how for the first time in the world the seeds of misogyny were sowed in the world because of this particular climate crisis and this particular migration this is the migration this is that pinpoint and saying that this is a particular migration this is a particular incident when the world flipped into a misogynic world or for that matter the mahabharata which i spoke to you about there are deep experts who are out there who have studied the subject for decades part of it and then uh, here is somebody who is coming up and say making an audacious claim so that's why i am also hoping that our claims have not been audacious our readers would be magnanimous enough to give us our this one but as far as uh, you are concerned you've been most magnanimous to in terms of listening to us and in terms of encouraging us thank you and thank you so much this episode is definitely going to help my wife and also my nephew they both are extremely interested in history i think it will be uh, one of the best episodes for them from my platform and thank you for being part of this journey and on this occasion and also like uh, vidyadhar prabhudeshai for connecting me with you and vidyadhar thank you so much and uh, uh, sangeet uh, it's, uh, it's been pleasure talking to you and as i said uh, uh, thank you so much for all the wonderful insights and sharing and, and spending your valuable time with our audience and really appreciate it and looking forward for many more conversations in future Thank you very much Naveen I enjoyed the conversation and I hope that our uh, audience would end up going ahead and and picking up the book from Amazon or any one of the bigger bookshops where or bigger smaller any bookshop which you have but please do pick up the copy and I hope that uh, you would thoroughly enjoy the new perspectives which we are bringing forth in this new book thank yeah. you so definitely audience you will find the link uh, to the uh, book in the show notes both on Amazon and Flipkart please feel free to grab a copy and also share your feedback okay you can share it uh, with sangeet and in fact you can connect with sangeet his linkedin profile will also be published in the show notes as well as episode description so yeah uh, so sangeet and zach wish you all the best and i'm sure it will become a best seller by looking at the vibes i think there are a lot of positive vibes and based on the conversation based on the insights that i myself have acquired in the last uh, hour or so conversation itself i can think what's there in the book totally so thank you so much once again Thank you again Navin thank you folks uh, that brings us to the uh, before we uh, get into the exciting section uh, trivia section there is a small request for you in case if you haven't already subscribed to us we kindly invite you to subscribe to our podcast from wherever you are tuning in from because by subscribing you will stay updated with our latest episode and ensuring that you never miss out on the valuable content and if you have enjoyed the conversation and found it beneficial it would be immensely grateful if you could share it with at least three of your friends or colleagues or family members who can benefit from the guiding voice so let us spread the knowledge and empower others to learn and grow just like you and your support means the world to us and not only will your friends gain new insights but we will also gain new subscribers allowing us to continue producing valuable content for you and our growing community Thank you so much in advance for your support and let's embark on this journey of knowledge together. So today we had an exciting conversation about the hidden links with among the different aspects of the history and today's trivia is also about interconnectedness of civilizations and the lasting influences of empires and the profound impact of health crises on human history. In fact, uh, Sangeet has already covered a few aspects of the silk road and the impact of pandemics. So how these different activities in the history or historical events are going to add depth and relevance right so here are a few facts which add to the theme that was shared by sangeet hidden links and how random historical events shaped our world that is the book title as well 
So first, a fact about uh, Silk Road extending to what Sangeet has already shared. This ancient network of trade routes played a crucial role in connecting the East and West because it facilitated the exchange of goods, culture and ideas between civilizations like China, India, Persia and Rome. And the second one is about the Roman Empire, which is one of the most influential empires in history. And it left a lasting legacy in areas like governance, engineering and law. And with some of its contributions still shaping the modern society. And the last one is the impact of pandemics. Again, throughout the history, pandemics like the Black Death and the Spanish flu have reshaped societies and led to significant changes in the public health practices. Right now, if you look at any shopping mall, any major hospital, anywhere you go, we are seeing that the sanitizers are placed. So likewise, a lot of health practices will have been changing throughout the pandemics. And COVID-19 is a great example. Right? Likewise, if you are aware of any historical facts and also any information that supplements to what Sangeet has already covered, request you to share them in the form of YouTube comments. Or if you are if you have found this episode on social media, feel free to comment there. And that's a wrap for today's episode. And we sincerely appreciate you taking time to tune in and being part of the incredible community. And we would love to hear from you because your feedback and ideas means a lot to us. And do not hesitate to share your topic recommendations as well as suggestions for guest speakers through our vibrant social media channels. Or you can also drop us an email at theguidingvoiceforyou at gmail.com because together we can create content that truly resonates with you. And I'm your host, Navin Samala, a dedicated professional and an insatiable learner. My mission is to make the world a better place through meaningful conversations that have a lasting impact on your life and also your career. So folks, stay connected with us as we continue this enlightening journey together. And until we meet again, take care, stay inspired. Remember, the best is yet to come. Bye for now. See you all in the next episode with another wonderful guest.